Welcome everyone to the morning service here at Liberty Church. We also have a, an evening service that meets at a half past five uh, elsewhere in the city. You're very welcome to come along to that as well. Great to have you here with us. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here at Liberty. Uh, in a moment or two, we're going to be uh, looking at a passage from the Bible together. We try and do that. Well, we do do that every week when we gather. Um, but before we do that, I just want to talk to you about Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is coming. So as you came in, you'll have, most of you probably would have seen one of these on your chair, um, and there's loads more around if you want some more, just to give you a little bit of information about what we're doing this Christmas. First of all, it's important to say that when it comes to Christmas, it is the perfect time to, obviously for us to gather and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but it's also a wonderful opportunity to invite other people to come into this building and to come and be part of this community, even just for one service, because I'm sure all of you all have uh, people that you work with or neighbors, friends, members of your family perhaps that wouldn't normally come to church, that aren't believers in Jesus and would perhaps even feel quite uncomfortable coming to long to a service here or anywhere else. But Christmas is perhaps one of the few times in the year where it's a whole lot easier to invite people to come to church because you can say, hey, why don't you come along and just sing some Christmas carols with us uh, and just have a good Christmassy time. So that's partly why we've printed off loads of these is so that you guys have, can, can do that, can invite people. And what we're doing is this year, we're upping our game a little bit and we're going to do two Christmas services. Here in the morning anyway, we'll also do uh, one in for the evening service as well. But for what we're doing here in the morning, we're going to do two, which is quite a big deal for us because normally we only do one. And as you see, there are two dates on the card here, the 15th and the 22nd. And the last few years, we've done our big kind of Christmas service on the equivalent date of the 15th. And that has normally been our biggest Sunday of the year when we've had the most people in the building. But then the following week on the 22nd has normally been our smallest Sunday of the year. So we go from packed room to the next week, we think, oh, well obviously nobody enjoyed that service because they've, no one's come back. It's just me and my children and a few stray dogs. And I don't really like dogs, so that doesn't really go very well for me. But what we're doing this year is we've actually switched things around, and we're going to do our big Christmas service on the 22nd. We're going to do the traditional singing of carols. We're going to have a big Christmas celebration. Uh, we've printed off uh, lots of these slightly bigger invites, which we're going to deliver to every house in this whole neighborhood. Um, and we're still going to have a Christmas service on the 15th, uh, which is a great opportunity for us as a family to celebrate Christmas together, and you might have friends you want to invite. But really, we're going to put a lot of our energies, not all, but a lot of our energies into the 22nd. Um, now, why are we doing that? Well, we're doing that because we're not... Liberty Church is... Uh, some, sometimes people ask me what the vision for the church is, and the clue is in the name. We are called Liberty Church for a reason, talks in Isaiah 61 about the fact that God has 
sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim freedom. And that's why we're here. We want to proclaim to our city that God sent us into. We want to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom is only truly really found in Jesus Christ. So that's why we've switched it around because we're not actually a church for expats or internationals. We're a church for Amsterdamers. We're here to reach this city. Now, you can be an Amsterdamer whether you've lived in this city for 50 years or like me, five years, or maybe you've just arrived off the plane this week. For however long you're here for, Live like a local. Invest in this city. Uh, people who say, oh, I'm just an expat, I'm just here, you know, I'm just going to treat this, this city as a tourist for a few years and then I'm off, is, that's okay, you might only be here for a few years, but don't treat the city like that. Invest in this city, love this city, give your lives while you're here to help proclaim liberty to the captives in the city. So that's why we're doing our big Christmas service on the 22nd, because for Amsterdamers, they're much more likely to come to church a few days before Christmas than 10 days before Christmas. So please think about who you could invite. And there are a couple of practical ways that you could get involved. First of all, all of us can get involved in this by inviting friends, family, neighbors, work colleagues to come along. Also, we're gonna have a choir on the 22nd. So if you like to sing, I mean, I'm a pretty good singer, but if you, know, if you could actually sing, then we have a choir. Uh, if you speak to our team at the back who have like these Ask Me badges on and say, I would like to sing in the choir, then they will do an impromptu kind of test there on the spot and they'll get, no, they won't. <laughs> Go and talk to them and they can get you signed up for that. Also, we need a, a, an army of people to help us deliver these invites to the neighborhood which is a great opportunity not only to put things through people's letterboxes, but to pray for the neighborhood as you do it. So if you would like to be involved in doing that, again, speak to our team. They can tell you what you need to do. And also, we need people to help set up and make the whole service happen on the 22nd. Because I know a lot of people are actually away. They're back visiting family and friends elsewhere other than the Netherlands or internationally. So we're a bit short on team, but uh, we want to ask you to think about getting involved in helping to make this Sunday happen. So I know it's only November and you're like, Christmas, really? But I'm getting excited already, aren't you? Great. Okay, that's enough about Christmas. Moving on, we are, this is actually our last Sunday today in the book of Exodus, at least for a while. Oh, sad, isn't it? So we actually started this series working through the book of Exodus on the 21st of May, 2017. So can you put your hand up if you were in the church, if you were part of Liberty in May 2017? Wow, okay. Start over. Okay, so yeah, we need to start again. So you guys, you can get the t-shirts and the badges and stuff at the end. You've completed the course. The rest of you have failed, I'm sorry. Uh, to go back to the beginning, start all over again. All the podcasts are on our website. You can listen to those. But uh, on that Sunday when we started back in May 2017, two and a half years ago, uh, the title of the message we were looking at this week was, that week was God's big 
story. That's what the book of Exodus is. And we've been talking about it many times as we've been going through. That the Exodus is this wonderful, vibrant story. Perhaps one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible. One of the most dramatic stories in all of human history. And it's a story not just from a few thousand years ago about a group of people, but it's a story about God and who he is. But it's also a story about us. That's why we've been going through this book, because we can find ourselves in this story. And we realize that God is leading each one of us and has led each one of us on our own Exodus story, on our own redemption story. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more this morning as we go through. Before we do that, let me just recommend a book. If you want to go a little bit deeper with the Exodus story, um, I say a little bit deeper, but it's actually a really simple, wonderful, short book that I recommend to you called Echoes of Exodus, which looks at how this Exodus story, you can find the kind of... um, how the roots of it spread all through the rest of the Bible and all through Scripture, you find, uh, as he says here, echoes of Exodus, hints of this Exodus story all through Scripture. Um, so I would strongly recommend you read that book because it's an excellent book. Um, and what we're going to do today is we're going to read the last um, four or five, I can't remember how many, last few verses of Exodus chapter 40, right at the very end of the book, and then I will pray and we will look at this passage together. So here we go. This is Exodus 40. It says, Then the clouds covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the glory of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We're so profoundly grateful to you now that we don't have to travel to a distant land to find a a tent of meeting, a tabernacle, a temple to encounter you. But now you've sent your spirit upon us, your people, the church, that your presence rests on us and in us now, that each of us as believers can say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. As a community, we can know your Holy Spirit amongst us. This cloud that they saw come and rest on the tent of meeting, the cloud of your presence and glory is now, it's here this morning. Not in any magical, mystical sense, but in a very, very real way. God, you're here. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus. It's not worshipping an idol far away in the sky, but it's worshipping a God who's 
alive today who's working powerfully in and through his people. So we want to open our hearts to you this morning and say, come change us. Holy Spirit, come and reveal Jesus again to our hearts. Come shape us and change us by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is a pretty dramatic way for this story, for any story to end, this cloud. That word's repeated five times just in those few verses, the cloud representing God's presence, and his glory that's resting on this tabernacle, the building. And the, perhaps the most profound thing about it is that in a way it's a bit of a I was recommending in that book, The Echoes of Exodus, this is a bit of an echo back to the, the start of the book. Because at the start of the book, when you read the first maybe five or six chapters of the book of Exodus, but particularly the first chapter, it's quite, a, um, it's quite an oppressive story. It's quite a dark story. In a sense, they're, they're under a, a cloud. You know that phrase when, when perhaps even in times of grief or times of suffering, times of anxiety or depression, you just feel like your life is under a cloud. And that's how I think the people of Israel would have felt that their life was under this dark, foreboding cloud because they were enslaved they were a slave people with the Egyptians brutally oppressing them, literally committing genocide against them. It's a horrible story. And yet the story shifts from the beginning of the book where they're under this horrible oppression and the Egyptian people were perhaps the greatest nation on earth at the time. This was a huge superpower from the biblical age. And the Israelites are just this lost, stateless people without a home, being abused with no power, with no authority, with no might, with no strength. They were in a sense useless. They couldn't get themselves out of the mess that they were in. They were completely stuck. But yeah, the story goes from them being under this cloud of oppression at the start of the book to being under the cloud of God's glory by the end of the book. And as you go through the book, as we've seen, it's almost like God begins to turn up the volume. Just even this... This theme of the cloud flows through the book in different moments when they go through the Red Sea. They see this cloud in front of them that leads them out. When they get to Sinai, they see this cloud resting on the mountain. And all the time, God is turning up the volume. He's amplifying his message to them. He's amplifying his grace to them, his love to them. And suddenly, the picture is completely changed. 
Whereas in Exodus 1, they were a slave people, and their main job was to build buildings, to build things, to build the kind of infrastructure of the Egyptian land. That's what they were doing. There's a particular brutal moment in chapter 5 where uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians keep upping the oppression. Every time it looks like the Israelites might try and rebel, the Egyptians just up the oppression a little bit more. There's a story in chapter 5 where they tell them they have to make bricks without straw. But yet, at the start of the book, where they're having to make bricks and build these buildings for this evil empire, at the end, they're constructing this beautiful tabernacle for their God. And it's not bricks without straw, but it's gold. They're making this beautiful structure. The story has completely changed. You find them in the start of the book, in Exodus chapter 2, it talks about their, their cry of rescue. It's the first time anywhere in the book that they actually come to God and they cry for deliverance, for help. And it says that God heard their groaning. And he does hear, because by the end of the story, there are free people. There's no mention of the Egyptians in this passage that we just read. They're, they're gone. They're behind them. God has completely changed the story. And at the, the first few chapters of the book, there's this tone of them being under a cloud. There's this tone of, of darkness. I've recently been reading the, the book, The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, which is perhaps one of the first kind of sci-fi books that was ever written. Wonderful story. I like it because it was, it's set in the, the town where I grew up, so lots of it feels familiar to me. But what's striking about the book, I was reading it the last few weeks, is the first few chapters, the author, H.G. Wells, deliberately sets the tone that the first few chapters, everything happens at night time. And he's trying to set this tone of impending doom. <laughs> that the Martians are coming, that the end is near, and that everyone's just going about their business completely unaware of what's about to happen. But he sets it all at night time to set this kind of feeling, this ambience of just darkness and destruction is just waiting. And the start of the book of Exodus is very much the same. It just feels dark. You know, when you read it and you think, is this really in the Bible? It's just such a sad story. And yet this sense of darkness, what we come to at the end of the book is just light. God's unapproachable light has broken in, has pierced the darkness, his power has come. In Exodus chapter 5, you see Pharaoh scathingly says the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks for his people to be set free, Moses kind of just brushes him aside and says, who is the Lord? Who is this God that you claim to worship? He just belittles him. But yet as we go through, we find that's really what the book is about. It's answering that question, who is the Lord? 
And we discover by the end of the book, he's the Lord who, who wins this mighty victory, who takes on this superpower and all their Egyptian gods and wipes them out. And he overcomes by his power. So you go through the story of those 10 plagues that are delivered on the, the Egyptians. Each one targets a different Egyptian god, a different Egyptian belief system. All the things the Egyptians were putting their trust in, God undermines each and every one, shows them to be powerless compared to him. And by the end of the story, we see this total victory has taken place. That by the end of the book, no one's asking anymore, who is the Lord? There's no doubt anymore of who's in charge, of who's sovereign, of where the power really lies. And all of this happens, what we've just read happens, despite, despite the people of God. The book of Exodus isn't a wonderful story of, yeah, let's just get inspired and we're going to go out and change the world. The book of Exodus is about this story of this people who make mistake after mistake. You find them at the start of the book and they're completely helpless and they cry out to God. And then God sends them Moses and they turn their back on Moses. And God delivers them and leads them through the Red Sea and then even then they want to go back to Egypt. We were looking a few weeks ago about their rebellion, how they just wanted to go back to their old Egyptian gods, their old way of living. Again and again, they rebel and they turn against God, and yet God's grace and his love prevails. This covenant of love he's made with his people wins the day. It's all been building up to this moment at the end of the book where they build their, their tabernacle and his glory fills that place and nothing will stand in the way of that. God will be victorious in what he plans. And God comes and completely transforms, restores the fortunes of the Israelites. But there's, there's a bit of a, in this passage, there's a, there's a, a question mark still. There's a, a but hanging in the air. Because Moses comes up to this tabernacle, and if you may have noticed, he, he couldn't go in. That God's built this te- temple so he can, he can dwell with his people. That he's not just a transcendent God up there in the heavens, but Moses can't enter this building. He can't go and be with this cloud. And that's because what's happened here is it's a, it's a partial restoration. It's, it's a hint of something greater still to come. That even going back to, to Genesis chapter 1, we were looking at a few weeks ago about how the Garden of Eden was supposed to be this temple with Adam as this high priest, and that for the Israelites rebuilding their tabernacle, they're supposed, they're supposed to be rebuilding God's original intention, that he wanted to dwell amongst his people in this garden temple that he was building, and yet it's not quite complete. Moses can't enter And we find out why if you just turn into the next chapter, if you go into Leviticus chapter 1. The book of Leviticus is about, the main theme, I guess, would be atonement. That an atonement needs to take place. 
a sacrifice needs to take place for their sins. And really we discover that Exodus chapter 40 isn't actually the end of the story. This is just the end of the beginning, that there's much more to come. This story is just a hint, a shadow of this greater redemption story that's to follow. A good way you can see it worked out is, I don't know if you know the story of, uh, in John chapter 2 in the New Testament, where Jesus performs his first miracle. Jesus is at a wedding, and uh, they run out of wine at this wedding. So his mother comes to him and says, come on, Jesus, I know I've seen you doing a few tricks in the carpentry workshop. Can we have some wine for this wedding? And he says to his, to his mother, my hour has not yet come. And uh, that phrase appears a few more times in the book of John, where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And then you get to John 17, and at the start of John 17, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And Jesus goes on, he provides the wine for that wedding, but it's just, it's just a hint of this greater feast that he's going to lay out for his people with the finest wine and the finest of foods. It's just a hint of what is going to happen. And that one day Jesus will be, that the hour has come, that he's won this mighty victory in his death and resurrection. And that we can look upon Jesus and see the glory of God. And that's what is happening in Exodus 40. We see, we see just a hint of his glory. It's just a, a hint. The whole story of the book of Exodus is just a shadow of what's to come. Because really what we've, what we've come to learn is that this story is, is about the redemption that we've all found in Jesus. Let me just bring up, I stole this from a book I was reading this week, but I think it's helpful for us. It talks about how you can see Jesus all through the story. So Jesus is the Moses of our salvation, the mediator who goes for us before God. Jesus is the lamb of our Passover, the sacrifice for our sins. I've put up the scripture references so you can track what it says. Let me just read that one. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus is our way out of Egypt. He's the deliverer who baptizes us in the sea of his grace. Jesus is our bread in the wilderness, the provider who gives us what we need for daily life. Jesus said that about himself. He said, in John 6, I'm the bread of life. They that comes to me will not be hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is our voice from the mountain, declaring his law for our lives. Jesus is the altar of our burning, through whom we offer praise up to God. Jesus is the light on our lampstand, the source of light 
a life. Jesus is the basin of our cleansing, the sanctifier of our souls. Jesus is our great high priest who prays for us at the altar of incense. Jesus is finally the blood on the mercy seat, the atonement that reconciles us to God. We see that the great, powerful, mighty God of the Exodus story, who rescued his people from this evil empire, is the same Jesus Christ who's rescued us. That the incompleteness of this story that Moses couldn't enter in because there hadn't been a final atonement, that we can now know God intimately and personally as believers in him because that final atonement for us has taken place. So the good news is if that you feel you need rescue, maybe you read the book of Exodus, those first few chapters, and you feel like your life is under a bit of a cloud. You feel that Darkness is perhaps the story of your life more than light. You, you have a, a deliverer, a rescuer, who's come to set you free. Maybe you're in need this morning. You have a, a provider who comes to meet your most important needs. Perhaps you need guidance, you've just got questions. Different options, do I go this way, do I that, go that way? How do I know what's good and what's bad? What shall I do with my life? We have this voice from the mountain who's given us his word to guide us. Maybe you just wanna come and praise God, that's why you're here this morning. You just wanna come and joyfully give praise to God. Well, you can do that. You don't have to come and we don't have a, a, an altar set up in the entrance lobby that you can come and give your sacrifice before you come in. Each of us can come in this morning and praise him. We come to the Father through the Son because of what he's done for us. It might be that you feel just unclean, things that you've thought done or said, maybe this week, this month, maybe things that happened years ago that still haunt you, we can receive a wonderful cleansing by his grace, wonderful sanctification, knowing that his love poured out for you sets you free, and you're now in Christ, the Father looks at you and doesn't see all your sin and mistakes. He just sees the righteousness of Jesus on you. That in the same way we, just like the Israelites, we rebel again and again and again. And yet God's sovereign plan of his grace will not be thwarted. Maybe you're just aware of just your life being in 
in the grip of the depravity of sin and you just can't get free no matter what you do. Well, you have a savior who's come to set you free. He has. Sometimes that's not an easy moment. Sometimes that takes lots of struggle and help from brothers and sisters. But he set you free. We get to walk in the goodness of the liberty that we proclaim, not just to our city, but the liberty we proclaim to our own hearts. And we get to walk in the good of that. See, because this story is, it's about you. It's about what Jesus has done for you. To each one of us, we're really just like these lost, helpless Israelites. Lost in slavery, but he's won a great victory for you. That he's defeated the power of sin, the power of death the power of the enemy that stands against us. And he's led you through the Red Sea. And by his death and resurrection, he's set you free from those things so that you can know him, so that you can come and know that your savior has a dwelling place now in you. He's chosen to set his dwelling place in his people. Because this story isn't just about you and your life now, but it's also about your future. About what God has, not just for the rest of your life, but for all of eternity. There's this wonderful phrase here where it says that this cloud was there throughout all their journeys which sounds, sounds a bit like Gandalf talking to Frodo in Lord of the Rings. But God is, he was with them throughout all their journeys, but he's with us throughout all of our journeys as well. And it might feel that, it might feel that God feels very distant to you, or you still feel very helpless in your life. And you read a passage like that from Exodus of this cloud of glory falling on the temple and you think, oh, I want to see, that sounds exhilarating. I want to see that. Why aren't our worship times like that? Why aren't my prayer times like that? Why do I still feel like there's so much darkness in my life? But yet we find that this glory of, that Moses sees is the same glory that we find in Jesus Christ. It says in Colossians that in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All God's power and might and glory dwells in Jesus Christ. And he's chosen to dwell with us. That all the glory we ever need to see, we can see in Jesus Christ. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the outshining of God. We get to look upon Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. And that's all the glory that we need. But yet one day, 
there will be a day where we get to see the full weight of his glory. It says in Luke 21 that that's how Jesus will return, riding on these clouds of glory. That there's another cloud we get to see at the end of times when God calls all of us home. That there's an end to all our journeys. That it talks about Moses at the end of the Bible in, in Hebrews and how God eventually calls him home. And throughout all his life, he was living with all this incompleteness. But God had something better for him, a better country laid aside. And in all perhaps the incompleteness you feel of your life, God has a, a journey, a redemption plan that he's walking you through. Not so that one day that you will be saved, you are saved already if you're a believer in him. But little by little, he's changing you, he's molding you. And sometimes even that means next year we're going we're gonna to look at the book of Daniel together. And the book of Daniel starts by saying that God delivered Daniel into the hands of the Babylonians who are another evil empire that we'll discover in the Bible. That even though that God had led them out from the Egyptians, suddenly they find themselves under the oppression of another foreign king. But it says God delivered them there. Sometimes the things that you're going through, you feel like you're walking through a season of difficulty, trial, pain, struggle, loneliness, whatever it is that's going on in your life, the likelihood is that God's, God's put you in that, in fact, not the likelihood, he has. God's put you in that place for a reason. Is that he's using that battle, that struggle, to keep redeeming his heart back to himself. Because in, even in those times of pain and difficulty, there's a, there's a glory to be found there. Even in the most hideous of struggles, he's there, he's with you. Because we would like to re read the, the Exodus story as, well, God's just come and rescued me and, then, and just pulled me out. But actually, the Exodus story is about, there is a final one day when God does rescue us and pull us out. But actually, for a lot of the time, his rescue is him stepping down. That's just the full wonder of God's incredible plan for your life. That he's not just pulled you up and locked you away somewhere to keep you safe. But he's come down to be with you. To dwell with you amongst us. He sent us into this city so that the city can see something of the glory of God, that we can be a light to the world through his power in us and that you can know his glory at work in you through all the different journeys and seasons of your life. That's how, that's how Jesus finishes the, um, his time on earth with his disciples. 
He said, behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's the same message as Exodus signs up with. God will, Jesus will be with them through all their journeys. That he's chosen to be with us right to the very end. Let's stop and pray and give thanks to God. Why don't you, if you're, if you're comfortable to do so, why don't you just stand to your feet and let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this this Exodus story that we can read this story and we can see Jesus just painted through the whole thing. That you're there through it all. This wonderful God of redemption leading your people into freedom. We thank you that for us as believers, if we look back on our own stories, we can see your handwriting all over it. That you've led each and every one of us on our own story of redemption. That you've led all of us to freedom now. Achieve for us, finally, once and for all, on the cross and in your resurrection. You died and rose again that we might have life. And now in all the ups and downs of life, we know that you're with us. That you're with us through all our journeys. We can know you walking with us. I just pray for anyone here in this room who who feels like their life is under the wrong kind of cloud, that you just would come and remind their hearts now that there's a cloud of glory over their life. Where anyone feels in darkness, that you would just pierce that with your, your unapproachable light. You just shine your light into our hearts. Where people are walking through difficulty and trouble and faithfully attempting to pursue you still or or they feel like they've given up and they don't know what to do anymore. We thank you, God, that you're with us. In spite of all our rebellions, that you're with us leading us, guiding us, that you're a God who is for us, not against us, who does everything for our good, for our blessing, that you're our deliverer, you're our provider, you're our guidance, our wisdom, our help, our strength, our redeemer, our savior. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. You're with us. That same presence that was in this cloud of glory that meant Moses couldn't enter is here with us this morning, and yet we can enter. <laughs> we can come and worship. As we're going to do in a minute, we can come and sing songs of worship. 
and we're freely able to do that because of your grace. Thank you that none of this is achieved by anything we've done, but everything you've done, that you were helpless and lost, but you've rescued us. In Jesus' name, amen.